Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome to the Keep or Cut podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. We are here with episode 90, continuing that countdown. I promised magic number. I'm pulling down number 10. We're, we're on our way. Uh, just a, a quick reminder as we're getting started that we are a part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can find us both on our own feed on you know Apple, Spotify, everything, but also on the Pitcherless Fantasy Podcast feed along with In the Deep and On the Wire and Hacks and Jacks and all the other great shows that the Pitcherless Podcast Network brings to you. Uh, when you go find us, please leave us ratings and reviews. We love to see that. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find me at Chad Young. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. And you can find the combined Chad and Pete, the show at Keep or Cut. Uh, always happy to take questions, get feedback, hear what's, what's working for you, what's not. Um, happy to talk about your keeper leagues. Whatever you want to talk about, let us know. But today, Pete, we've got some... Uh, We've got some names that our listeners should be looking at, and at least based on some of the numbers we're seeing, they probably aren't looking at them right now. Yeah, we do. We, I, I like the way to put it. There's no real other way to quantify this smattering of names other than they are names. Um, but Chad and I have already had several drafts together, several auctions together, and these are targets that uh, we think, based on the early returns, based on the early numbers, these are guys that I'm gonna we're going to be targeting early in those fab processings and you know, as, as guys becomes IL eligible and you can throw them on your IL and, you know, use that roster spot to add people. These are guys that we're going to be looking at to, uh, to add. Yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's funny. It's, that's our theme today. It's just names. They're just guys who have names, <laughs> but the, the, the thresholds we used here, um, we wanted to look for under appreciated players under rostered players. And so the thresholds we set were less than 70% rostered on fan tracks and less than 30% rostered on auto new. Uh, part of the reason for that lower threshold on Auto New is that there's a lot of drafts that haven't happened yet. I, I think this is just speculation on my part, but I think that at fan tracks, that's that their roster percentages of of leagues that have drafted, it certainly looks mm -hmm. that way. Um, whereas at Auto New, it's just of all leagues, and so leagues that haven't drafted, there's guys who are like, you know, sixty fifty percent rostered because they're. Fernando Tatis Jr. And there's a lot of leagues that haven't drafted yet. And it's, we're not adding any value by sitting here being like, if you're looking for an underappreciated player that no one's heard of and isn't rostering yet, you should think about Fernando Tatis Jr. Have you heard of this guy? <laughs> so we went a little bit the lower one there, a little bit deeper there. Yeah, yeah. The one that stood out to me that made me suggest that was uh, Berrios is a great example, right? Yeah. Like nobody wants to roster a $12 Berrios or whatever. And I think the, yeah. the fan tracks ones are kind of interesting because Fantrax is just so customizable mm -hmm. their their ability to have like a farm system and stuff that inflates the the roster percentage of prospects like a ton 
Um, whereas other formats, CBS, ESPN, Yahoo are, are more redraft focused. So yeah. those prospects aren't rostered in as many leagues. Yes. Agreed. So before we get into this, um, I want to, I'm going to share a tweet I saw this week, actually a thread I saw this week that I, I don't want to, I, well, trying to decide whether I should say this influenced or informed my thinking for this exercise or whether I should say this like reinforced and, and sort of expressed in better words, something I've always thought was true, but haven't ever been great at expressing. So this is from uh, Josiah Tindor, who you can find on Twitter at the Tindor, the Tindor, pretty straightforward. Um, I I can't tell, if, I, I don't know who this person is. I can't tell from his Twitter profile if he writes anywhere or anything like that. He does talk about, you know, fantasy baseball. He's got a lot of interesting tweets about fantasy baseball from what I can tell. But Yesterday, he puts out a tweet thread, and the first tweet says, straight to the point this morning, ignore season-long projections after about round 15. I love projections for roughly half, for roughly the first half of my draft. I'm buying the best projected stats. That, I'm buying the best projected stats left that fit my evolving roster needs. Position agnostic for the most part. Past that, he goes into a second tweet. The value of season-long projections is directly proportional to the odds you'll actually be starting that player all year. So what he goes on to there is talks about some numbers from uh, the process by Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Ball that uh, Tanner Bell that anywhere from twenty-five to sixty percent of your your starting fantasy weeks come from the waiver wire. And, and the point he's making here, and I think it's a really good point, is that once you get past, and he acknowledges later that round fifteen is sort of just, you know, putting a stake in the ground. It doesn't have to be round 15. But later in your draft, the guys you're picking, you're very likely to cut at some point. And you don't necessarily need them to provide value for you. And so what you should be looking at at that point is what in the, the way he says it is, oh, what could go right? That's what you should be asking yourself late in the draft. It's not like, oh, this guy's projected to go, you know, hit 10 home runs and 15 stolen bases. And like that, that could help my team. Like, but like, where could this guy break out? And he was using Carlos Estevez as an example where like he's way more valuable, valuable than his projections because one of two things is going to happen with Estevez. And we've talked about him in the show, so I'm using him as an example here. He's going to be the closer and be a guy who should have been going in the first, let's say, 10 rounds because he gets 35 saves. Or he's not going to be the closer and you're going to cut him anyways. And so the, the, his projection isn't really sort of what matters. Now, that is not to say I ignore projections. I don't go that far. I always am using projections. But at this point, whether it's late in drafts, whether it's your first set of fab, anything like that, to me, that's a big focus in, in these guys is what could go right? Who could I pick up that not just will be like, oh, this is a good guy to have at the end of my roster because he plays three positions and will help me out, although that is valuable. But who's a guy who could become a regular in my lineup if everything breaks the right way. And so, I don't know, Pete, does that, does that resonate with you? Is that sort of how you're thinking about this too? Yeah, it really resonates with me. I mean, I, I we're, we're in the industry, right? So I don't mean to, I hope this doesn't come across as besmirching anybody else in the industry, but I'm just not a big projections guy as it is. Um, I think projections are really like, here's the, I don't know, 50th percentile outcome. And just that's never how I construct my team, Right. Um, sometimes you get crazy ones when you look at the steamer projections for like Masataka Yoshida and Ronald Acuna Jr. It's like, well, that's not a 50% outcome, but like most of the time, take a player like Tristan Cassis, um, you know, a guy who I'm getting a, a lot of shares of this year. Like if you're projecting 500 plate appearances, like 
don't also project that he's going to hit like 18 home runs with right. 57 RBI. Like if the Red Sox let him get 500 plate appearances, it's because he's telling Bobby Tallback and everybody else in the team, like, sorry, you're not playing because I'm blossoming into a star. And so because the potential range of outcomes with those players that go really past round 15, I kind of like the way that um, that you put it there, it's just so wide. They're not really helpful at that point. So yeah, that that resonates with me a lot. Yeah, and I think Cassis is a, a great example of this. The example he uses is people taking uh, Gene Segura over Oswald Peraza. He's like, yeah, I get it. The projections tell you that Segura is more likely to be a solid bench piece, but like, which one of these guys has the opportunity to be a game changer right. for you? It's Peraza. And I think Cassis, I mean, if you look at like, I'm looking at uh, NFBC ADP, Cassis, and this is, I'm not filtering this at all. It's just because I'm not trying to do anything specific here, but his, his ADP is 232.9. I think it's got, gotten better recently, but it's had a great spring. Regardless, we're talking about a, you know, 20th round pick in a 12 teamer, um, a little earlier, obviously, in a 15 teamer. But he's going after, I'm trying to think of it like a, another first baseman who's going earlier. Not a first baseman, but like JD Martinez is going earlier and he's a util guy, which at that point is you're probably not drafting your first baseman, then you're probably drafting a util guy. Um, he's going after, like, well, let's see who else. There was another name. First baseman all going much earlier. Um, he's going like 60 some picks after Josh Bell. So like, I like Bell. I like Martinez. They are solid players. But if you're asking me, like, I sort of, I feel like at this point, like we know what JD Martinez is. We know what he's going to do. He's probably going to play part-time. He's very useful. That's fine. But like Cassis is the guy who could be a breakout, right? He's the guy who like, yes, it is entirely possible that by May or June, we're like, oh boy, we were wrong about him. We shouldn't have been drafting him so much. But it's also possible in May or June, you're penciling him in as a keeper for next year because his value is so good because of how he's performing. So that's sort of the, the mindset I went into with this was this idea of like, I'm not going to, I'm not looking for the guy who just like, oh, this guy's like a really solid all around player and he's going to really help my team, you know, fill in those games at second base and shortstop. I, I was much more interested in like, who is someone who I think if things break right, Within a month, I could just be plugging them into my lineup every single day and feeling good about it. So that's where I was. I think with that, let's start going through the names. And Pete, why don't you why don't you pick one of your names to go with first? Who do you want to talk about first? Uh, sure. Um, Josh Lowe is a target for me. Um, he's 24% rostered on fan track. So he more than kind of fit the bill for this. This is a guy who was never really like an elite elite prospect, but he gained a lot of steam um, after his great, I want to say it was 2021 season in the minors um, where he was a, a stolen base and power threat. He is the brother of Nate Lowe, by the way, um, who the Rays traded away. Uh, he his big issue has been strikeouts, um, especially whiffs, like just swinging and missing. Um, he's a guy who can make solid contact on contact, but he's a swing and miss player. So it stuck out to me that like, yeah, OK, I don't want to go down that road of <laughs> complaining about spring. It's just spring training, but here are the numbers, but blah, blah, blah. But he only has four strikeouts in 24 uh, plate appearances so far in spring training. And for a player like that, that is very significant because what are the Rays going to want to see? They're going to want to see that he can cut down the strikeout rate because everything else with Josh Lowe is pretty good. Um, he's posted, like I said before, at that 2030 season uh, in the minor leagues. And if you 
kind of ignore the fact that he had a thirty percent strikeout rate last year um, in AAA, which obviously again is is a problem that hopefully he's addressing. He was still pretty awesome in AAA last year through over three hundred plate appearances. So I'm not just gonna you know dump a stat line here, but it was a WRC plus of one fifty one through three hundred and fifty one plate appearances at AAA. Yes, it did come with a strikeout rate over 30%. Yes, that carried over into the major leagues. And what didn't carry over into the major leagues was the double-digit walk rate. So he's he's had some trouble and adjusting power, to major league pitching. Right? He had a 20% home run per fly ball rate with, with 14 home runs and 351 AAA plate appearances. In 198 MLB plate appearances, he had two home runs with a 4.4% home run per fly ball rate. Right. Right. And this is this is not to throw cold water on Lowe, because I actually, I like Lowe. I'm, I, I agree with this one. But that is like, he put up that line in AAA because he was walking and he was he was hitting the ball hard. And when he came up, the strikeout stuck around and, and the hard contact sort of dried up. And I think that probably influenced the walk rate. It's like, you can't punish me. I'm coming in the zone. So um, I, I'd be interested to see. I wonder if I can pull up his – I don't know if I can get minor league zone percentage from a plate discipline perspective. From my experience, Fangraphs is the best for stuff like that, yeah. but I don't think they have that. They but don't. also, look at the Rays outfield. It's not amazing. Like I, I know that like the Rays are going to somehow win like ninety games and be in the wild card, but I just I don't understand how it's going to happen with how the current roster is constructed, especially the offense. And so low might be a necessity for them right now. Roster resource has him slated to start the year in AAA, but if he continues to impress this spring. Um, I could see him getting a role in that outfield or just take that DH spot and kind of run with it. Um, yeah. So he's he's a late target. He's like a poor man Spencer Torkelson. Like he's not a very exciting post-type sleeper, whereas Spencer Torkelson is a really exciting post-type yeah. sleeper, especially with the exit velocities he's posting this spring. But like if you miss out on the post-hype guys, here's one that like I, he could be the best of all of them, especially yeah. with that speed component. Yeah, and I think looking at at low and at the at the Rays outfield and DH situation. I mean, the Rays have a there's a whole situation with the Rays, right? Because their lineup has a bunch of guys who could be good, um, but their outfield right now, like Arozarena is their left fielder, and there's probably literally nothing Randy Arozarena could do to lose that job. Like he could have a right. terrible year, and they're just going to keep putting him out there because he's been that good for them. And Manny Margot in right field. Is, has been good on and off. He had a really nice run last year before he got hurt, but he has been getting hurt and he really hasn't been consistently good. Jose Siri in center field, I think is a, I think he's an interesting player. I think he's a better, I think he's a better player than most fantasy players realize because I think he's a better real baseball player than he is a fantasy player. I also think that the, like the Rays went out and got him because they value him. And so I think he's probably pretty locked in, but you know, we could see, Harold Ramirez at DH, I don't think has some like death grip on that job. And then even like, like Itzhak Paredes and, and Jonathan Aranda, who both of whom I like are probably sharing third base in some way, which moves Yandy Diaz to first base. And I don't think Yandy's getting displaced, but those guys struggling and making room for Ramirez to go to first base and low to take over DH. Like, there's a lot of failure points that could come up. And I think Lowe is in, in – he could be next in line at any of those spots. And, and I think, right. you know, he's been leading off in spring training. He's been leading off in part because Yandy Diaz hasn't been there. He probably – like, that is that is Yandy Diaz's spot. He will lead off. He is an incredible on-base guy. Like, he should lead off. What it says to me isn't that they're like, 
Josh Lowe is our future leadoff hitter, although maybe they think that. I think what it says is Josh Lowe is a guy who we want batting as much as possible in the spring. They want him getting as many plate appearances as he can. They want him up at the top of the lineup, so he's constantly coming up. And that tells me they want to see him, and they want to see what he can do, which means he has a real chance to to make an to make a statement, right? Like, the, you, you don't put a guy in that leadoff spot in these games that don't matter unless it's because you want to see what they can do and, you, and they have a real opportunity to to earn something. And I, I don't think it's likely he breaks camp with the team just because of the way just the way they're structured. I don't think they'll have everyday plate appearances for him to start the season. And therefore I think he's likely to start in the minors, but I think that they're, they're treating him like he's next in line is what I'll say. And I, I would add to that, that as a left-handed bat, they're outfielders right now. Randy Rosarena is a righty. Manny Margot is a righty. Jose Siri is a righty. Their bench bats that are left-handed are Luke Rayleigh, who is not stopping Josh Lowe. Jonathan Aranda, who's really more of an infielder, although I guess he could play second and push Brandon Lau to the outfield. We'll have to see. And Taylor Walls, who I think is just a bench guy. Like, they're not... If they decide they need another left-handed bat in the lineup on a regular basis, Josh Lowe is the guy. And and so anybody who needs to be platooned, he could very easily be stepping in. Yeah, I think he's it it's not doesn't sound right cuz right now as con- currently constructed, he's not there, but he really is in control of his own destiny. If he yeah. hits and he cuts the strikeout rate, even think about how valuable he could be if he just cuts that strikeout rate from 32% to just 25%, right? It's easy for me to say, right? I'm sure it's going to be a lot more difficult for him than it is for me. But yeah. if he could just do that, right? Like just do that. that now, just, yeah, just, just, just do it. Half, guy. Just, just cut the strikeout strike rate, cut the whiffs. Um, but there's there's upside here that's uh, at a 24% roster rate. And that's got to be like the most rostered he is in any format. If he's 24% on fan tracks, he's definitely lower everywhere else. I would uh, yeah. scoop him up. Outfield's too thin. Scoop him up. Yeah. So let's... uh. Let's jump to our next player, and I want to stay in the Rays organization, because why not? The guy I want to talk about with the Rays is Curtis Mead. Uh, I found Mead as 60% rostered at fan tracks. That's sort of on the, the high end. And, and Mead, for me, this is just a case of, like, I just love this profile. I love it, because you look at his, his minor league track record, and he is consistently striking out at a, at a low rate. So going back to like 2019, he had a 13.1% strikeout rate in rookie ball, 14.2 in A ball, and and then 16.3 in high A in 2021. He'd made the jump all the way from high A to triple A very briefly in 2021, and then was in double A to start 2022. In double A, 18.3%. In triple A last year, just 85 plate appearances, but 20%. Like he is he's keeping that strikeout rate into the high teens, maybe up to the low 20s. And he's walked his last year. He walked 10.2% of the time in double A and 12.9% of the time in triple A. So, you know, talking about a guy who like, even if you assume, okay, strikeout rate's going to go up when he comes up, walk rate will probably come down a little bit. If he's walking like 9% of the time and striking out like 21% of the time, that, that's pretty good. And he showed good power. He has a, um, a current 50 score on his game power from fan graphs, but with a potential of 60 and he's got a good hit tool. So good hit tool, good plate discipline, ability to tap into some power. He is a, uh, he is not a good fielder. 
So he's going to have to figure out sort of where he where he fits. But I think he can hit just about he can hit well enough to play just about anywhere. And so Mead is another guy. I don't expect him to be on their opening day roster. I think that he is, you know, if Lowe is next in line, Mead is either is option one B to, to Lowe's one A. They're they're very close, I think, in terms of who gets the next shot. Who gets that shot may depend in some part at what the position is. Like if they if they decide Manuel Margot's not working out and they need a right fielder, that's not going to be Mead. That'll be Lowe. If they decide they need a DH, it might be Mead instead of Lowe. But I, I just I really like what he brings to the table. I'm a big fan of guys who have this sort of good plate discipline, good power. Like that's, that is the profile I want to see from a minor leaguer. And that's what he's got. And I think he, he just, you know, you brought up low, he might be second behind low, whatever the case may be. But like, again, it, it, it just echoes what we were just talking about with the race. There's a lot of spots in the race lineup where things are going to get switched around. I mean, first of all, it's the race. So we know they're going to do that anyway, but there's a lot of weak points or potential weak points in that lineup that could propel Curtis Mead into the major leagues. And I was looking at the projections for him this year because, you know, we were talking about projection systems and it's hard to ignore it. Now all of the projection systems from zips to steamer, everything is loaded up onto fan graphs. And although you might not really be enamored with any of the numbers, they all kind of agree that he's going to be a slightly above average bat. And they are projecting for an odd dip in his BABIP. He's posted some impressive BABIPs in the minor leagues through over 200 plate appearances at high A. His BABIP was 309. Um, over 200 plate appearances at double A, the BABIP was 342. And yet the projection systems have them all at, you know, between 280 and 290. And there's only so much of that he can control, but he does seem to be shaping up into a little bit of a line drive hitter, um, which creates this nice safe profile when you factor in the walk rates and everything else. So he does seem like one of the rookies who, you know, rookies have been such like either massive hits or massive busts lately. He seems like one who could actually be, dare I say it, in the middle, who could just be a little yeah. safe. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, and yeah, the, the line drive rates, I mean, he's fairly consistently been over 20% in the minors in AAA or in, in yeah, in AAA last year, he had a 40% line drive rate. It was 17.2% in AA. You know, that's sort of the, the, the 17.2%. He also, he is not a big fly ball guy. And uh, that, that may impact the, the power projection. He's got enough power to ke- carry high home run per fly ball rates. And so maybe he's a guy who should be spending some time in AAA trying to elevate a little more. But like his fly ball rate last year was 27.3% in AAA. That's not that's not very high. 40.5% in AA is, is better. But I think he could potentially benefit from being even a little higher than that. So um, something to watch with him. But yeah, I, I'm a fan. I think that he'll get a shot before too too long so let's uh let's do let's do one more before we take a break and pete who do you want to talk about next sure so uh i guess i'll stick with my theme of young outfielders um and jump to the red Sox. a guy who i was beginning to think is just going to be a bust maybe a trade candidate to just bring in a bullpen piece or something like that but jaron duran has uh switched up his swing uh there was a good article that summarized it on Fangraphs by chris gilligan um, where basically Duran has made this change where his hands are closer where he wants them to end up being. He had a very busy swing um, when he broke into the major leagues, and it also involved a high leg kick um, that that has seemed to have disappeared. And so far, it has yielded quality results. Now, what's tough with that is like it is just spring training, and I bring that up because not to be annoying and bring it up all the time, 
But with Jaron Duran, he's proven to us that he can smash minor league pitching. Like this is not new. Like if if he does end up starting the year at AAA, he's don't be surprised when he's hitting 290 and he's hitting homers and he's stealing bases. The issue has been translating that to the major leagues. But when I see a tangible change um, and something that has given him confidence, the article talked a little bit about how like it's something that I guess you know can get lost in the fantasy stratosphere where like these guys are real people. And Duran was somewhat highly touted. I mean, by the time he reached the major leagues, everybody knew his name for a big organization playing in the outfield. And he was dreadful, especially with the strikeouts. You could just imagine the mental drain that that is on a player. Then there was the whole vaccine situation where like he was playing his best ball, but he had to miss a series in Toronto. He's dealt with some injuries. And I think it just played a toll on him. He seems to be in a good space right now. He's playing for team Mexico in the world baseball classic, and he's changed his swing and he's not really a, a, he's not a pull hitter necessarily, but he is a lefty. So maybe that, that helps a little bit with the, uh, the shift being banned, maybe more balls in play from him with a better swing. Um, we could see a much higher batting average floor. That we maybe expect brings the ability to spread out the defense a little bit and create like just making it harder right. to get to the ball, even on the infield. Like even if they get to the ball that he hits in the, the hole, making it harder to get there, making the throw a little bit harder, like all that stuff puts a little bit of added pressure on the defense. And when you've got the speed he brings, that's those are hits. right. They can't. It's not hit. just Corbin Carroll speed. I mean, it, I mean, it's not quite Cor- Corbin Carroll speed, but yeah. it is like potentially one of the the five or 10 fastest players in baseball speed. And that's the whole change in his swing is just getting to the ball, putting more balls in play. It's not, he didn't change his swing to generate more power to lift balls in the air. He's trying to put more balls in play. And so a very limited sample size this spring, but it's worked add in Chad. I don't know if you've seen just how poor Adam Duvall has been this spring. Um, the last I checked, he was, I think, Oh, for 13 with eight strikeouts. Um, he did get a hit or maybe it was even a Homer the other day. And like I said, a a little over a month ago on this podcast, I said, I think there's a decent chance Adam Duvall is washed. This isn't a victory lap on that, obviously. And this isn't like a, a, if if I end up being right, it wasn't the greatest call of all time. I mean, it's Adam Duvall, but the Red Sox could have a need in that outfield. Um, and if Duran is improved, why not give him a shot? Yeah. And I'm looking, I mean, you mentioned like the, the strikeouts were a problem for him and, I, you know, small sample, like spring is always weird sample sizes and he has literally 10 plate appearances. So like, let's not get too carried away, but in 10 plate appearances, he has one strikeout. He has three extra base hits and four walks. That's a, anytime you're getting three times as many extra base hits and four times as many walks as you're getting strikeouts. Like that's a good sign. And again, it is 10 plate appearances. I am not trying to sit here and tell you that there's anything like, you know, he's fixed. Everything's great. But like, you got to make some gambles here. And we talked at the beginning of this about like, this is your opportunity to, to pick guys late or pick guys off the wire where the question is what could go right? Like what could go right for Duran is maybe the swing change is what he needed. He's got things fixed. He's going to put the ball in play more. And all of a sudden he's a like, 10 to 15 home run, 15 to 25 stolen base guy with a decent average that you can plug into your outfield every day. Yeah. Is that the likely outcome? Probably not, but I'm not sure that you should be focused on what the likely outcome is. I think you should be focused on realistic things that could go right. And this is, this is a realistic thing that could go right. And it's, you know, to echo it again, it's yes, it's just 10 plate appearances, but that's not what we're 
basing drafting him on. We're basing this on this real change that like is not something that just people notice. It's something that he's talking about feeling like a better hitter. And we just we have to put some stock into that. And to like put it in a perspective like you earlier, I haven't filtered this, but I don't really think Duran has moved up too much in drafts. A player like Bubba Thompson is almost going 200 picks earlier in drafts than Jaron Duran. Why? I mean, I, I don't yeah. I don't necessarily think Thompson is safe for playtime. He's just not a good hitter, whereas Duran has made a real change. So if you're looking for speed late in drafts, good luck. But I think Duran and Josh Lowe, to talk about them both here, are pretty good options. But Duran way more so than Lowe when it comes to speed. Yeah, I think that makes sense. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep going through our list of underappreciated players. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but the problem is managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. We've already talked about Josh Lowe, Curtis Mead, and Jaron Duran. Let's see, where do I want to go from here? I guess since you talked about your, your hometown player, I'll go talk about one of my hometown players, and that is Bo Naylor. Um although you actually live in the Boston area and I don't actually live in Cleveland. So, but regardless <laughs> guardians are my team. I want to talk about Bo Naylor. And so I'm going to, cause it is our show and we get to talk about whoever we want. Uh, so Naylor is, so start with this. Naylor has already been sent down, right? He has been optioned to the triple a team. He's playing for team Canada in the world baseball classics. So he's doing that now, but like before he left for the world baseball classic, the team told him you're starting in triple a fine. He is 64% rostered on fan tracks. Here is my hot take on Naylor. I'll start by saying, I don't think Naylor is the best catcher prospect out there right now. I don't think that's a hot take. I think, But if you tell me 
that in 2025 drafts, okay, 2025, so that next season, season after, the number one catcher in the draft is somebody from the current crop of prospects. Naylor is the most likely guy to be that guy. More than Alvarez, more than Andy Rodriguez. Like, I think he is more like, those guys might have a higher floor. They might, I think they're, they're probably more talented baseball players. But Bo Naylor is the catcher with the chance to become JT Real Muto. 20 home runs, 20 steals, high average. Like, you look at his numbers the last couple of years. 2021, he got 356 plate appearances in double A. He had 10 home runs, 10 stolen bases in, like I said, 356 plate appearances. He also had a 188 average that year. He really struggled to get on base. Part of that was a 255 BAPIP. Part of that was a 31.5% strikeout rate. Fast forward, 2022, gets his second look at double A. His strikeout rate in 220 plate appearances at double A in 2022, after being 31.5%, was 20.9%. That is a huge improvement. He also walked 20.5% of the time in double A that year. Then he got his first taste of triple A. The strikeout rate jumped back up, but it only went up to 25.9%, which is still acceptable. And at a 12.8% walk rate. In 2022, he stole 20 bases and hit 21 home runs in a total of 510 plate appearances across those two levels. Then got his first taste of MLB and, and struggled. Like he, he got, you know, struggled in eight plate appearances across five games. Like he didn't do very much, but still that, that's sort of where he is. This is the guy of this group of, of prospect catchers who in my mind, like he put up a 2020 season last year, he could do it again. He has shown the ability to make meaningful improvements and meaningful strides in his game. The Guardians have talked about the fact that like his ability to develop, being coachable, making changes and adjustments that they, they've been very happy with. And, you know, I, I think that if you're, if you're looking at just this season, he's probably up. He'll be up in the first half. I would suspect May, June. I think there's a chance he comes up and starts off sort of as the, the 40% guy in a 60, 40 split with Zunino. But once he's up, he could take over that job. And once he takes over that job, he could easily be on a 20-20 pace the rest of the way. If that doesn't happen, maybe he goes to AAA and the strikeout rate spikes again and like things just aren't going well. But I, I, I'm I'm definitely buying in on him. I would also note, by the way, with those those 20 strikeout or 20 strikeouts, those 20 uh, stolen bases last year, he was only caught four times. He has stolen, let's see, 30, 42 bases across his minor league career and been caught 10 times. So he's not just a guy who's, this isn't just a guy in the minors, like stealing at volume, which sometimes happened. Like he is a good base runner. He is a good base dealer. He has very good speed for a catcher. Like if, and when he's up, he will be running. Um, And so I just think like, you know, is, is Francisco Alvarez more likely to become like a 30 home run threat? Yes, for sure. Is he the better hitter of the two? Yes, for sure. But from a fantasy value perspective, I'm not sure that that'll be the case. And so I think Naylor should be should be getting more attention than he is. I agree with that. I, I took Naylor in a few leagues um, at the start of draft season, especially in two catcher leagues, hoping that he would get uh, some play time early in the season like you're predicting. And I, ha- I have a hard time believing he won't because – Mike Zunino is not going to stop anybody. I think it's worth pointing out that the catcher in front of Naylor right now, if we're not counting Cam Gallagher, 
Um, had a WRC plus last year of 43, had a swing strike rate above 19%, and had a strikeout rate of, I was just looking at it, uh, a lot. Let's leave it at that, 37.4%. Like, if Cleveland needs any kind of offense, like, just even if Bo Naylor disappoints, he's going to be better than that because he's not going to be striking out at that rate. He's going to be putting more balls in play. He's a more athletic player. Um, and that is something that could jet start a team. And if they were a team that's not going to be in contention, then I'd say maybe not, you know, ride out the season with Zunino most of the time. But this is a team that's trying to win. So if Zunino yeah. is is just that poor, 32-year-old catcher who can't hit his way out of a paper bag, that is, that's not stopping anybody. So I, Naylor is exciting. I, to me, Zunino is a placeholder, right? They the, the reason they went for Zunino was because they felt like he'd be fine. He could settle into the backup role once Naylor's ready. And maybe they, you know, maybe you catch lightning in a bottle and he he goes on a power tear like he did a couple of years ago. Like, sure, take a shot at that. But he is not there to he's not there to hold the job long term. He's there to just buy some time while Naylor gets a little bit more seasoning, which I, th- I think he could use. So I, I'm I'm very excited about what Bo Naylor brings. I think that he'll be bringing it before too long. So let's jump back to your side of the spreadsheet, Pete. Who do you want to talk about next? Sure. And, and uh, because I, I'm going to start, uh, do two catchers before I get to my pitcher, um, I do want to say, because we're a keeper league, like catchers don't really get pushed up. Prospect catchers don't really get pushed up even in keeper drafts. So Bo Naylor is, is essentially free. And there's going to be a lot of value there if he does turn into a, a Dalton Varsho or JT Real Muto type player. Um, and that's, Part of the reason why in my keeper leagues, like I, I will maybe, maybe if it's a deep, like, you know, new type format where I, you know, 40 roster spots or, or something like that, where I can just tuck them away. I like these two catchers. I'm just going to do one right now, but the, the first one's going to be Nick Fortes, who actually I like a lot more than my other option, who I'm going to be very quick on. Um, Nick, and I, I hope I'm saying that name correctly, Fortes of the uh, Miami Marlins. I've liked him for a long time. He's only 26 years old, first of all, uh, but the underlying numbers for him have always been quite exciting. Uh, last year, max EV of 108, that's that's fine, um, but he has a real line drive kind of launch angle and profile. Um, the average exit velocity last year is 89. That was down from the year before at 91, but he hits a lot of balls in the air, and he doesn't strike out. Like he, He's got that typical catcher like, all right, when he makes contact, he's going to hit the crap out of the ball, but he's only going to make contact every now and then. No, this guy really doesn't strike out that much, making him exciting. It is Jacob Stallings in front of him, who's a good catcher, but older um, and, and certainly you know, kind of like Mike Zunino, not really going to block anybody from playing. Not that Nick Fortes is of the bone nailer caliber, but Nick Fortes, even if he doesn't displace Jacob Stallings, he played a whole ready for this. He did play one inning at first base last year. Um, and he did DH quite a bit. So I could see him, you know, being, if he's hitting, he's going to move around uh, from between first base utility and catcher. So while Fortes doesn't really have the upside of like a bow nailer, and he's probably not the most exciting pick. And I do expect him to exceed his, you know, value in terms of ADP. I don't expect him to like blow it out of the water. He's not going to be like a top 100 pick next year or something crazy like that. But if you are in those deeper two catcher formats, I think he could basically be this year's Jonah Heim, which Again, probably doesn't sound that exciting, but when you consider Jonah Heim was was a 50-run, 50-RBI, 16-homer catcher who didn't kill you in batting average, in those two catcher formats, he was so, so important. He almost saved me 
in TGFBI. And I think Fortes could be better than that. He's got a lot more pop in his bat. So if he meets the 400 plate appearances that Heim was able to get last year, I think he could put forward a, a pretty solid season. So much so that we've seen way less talented catchers become top 10 catchers for a season in fantasy just because they got the play time and things kind of fell right. And I think that could definitely happen with Fortes. Yeah, my 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 issue, I guess, with Fortes is that I don't really it seems to me that the Marlins don't really believe in him. And and the reason I say that is just, you know, you mentioned they got Stallings in front of them. Stallings is not some like star breakout, like gotta see what you have in him kind of catcher, right? I mean, he's he's 33 years old, he's perfectly serviceable. He's not going to create some great trade market by having a great first half. And like, and he's not so good that you're like, look, if we're going to compete, we need, we, we can't afford to give up the catcher spot. Like they're very much in a spot right now where if I were running the Marlins and I believed Nick Fortes had a future, he'd be my everyday catcher. He'd be my starter because he's 26. You know, you, you've got to see what you've got in him. You're not holding him back to play service time games, something like that. He's on the major league roster. So like, I just, the, the fact that they've got him pinned in as the second catcher behind a, a perfectly fine, but unexciting guy. Some that, that, that gives me some concern about like, do the Marlins even believe this guy is good? And now maybe they do. And maybe like by the end of spring training, we'll be like, Oh, he's the starter. We didn't realize it, but like he's taken over. Maybe they believe he's good. And they just think he needs some more, work and they're they're hoping they can turn stallings into a trade asset like i i don't know but that's like everything you said about him is right i i totally see the like you know solid catcher who when things go right for him over the course of a season with 400 plate appearances could crack the top 10 because catcher is not that deep i just i just have this this like this sense that the marlins are signaling it out to us that this guy isn't good and doesn't really need much playing time. And that to me is a little bit concerning. I, I, so I don't think that's the case. I think part of it is, I mean, we saw this in Boston a lot with guys like Lester and Beckett, where you get your personal catcher and your guy that you're like really, really comfortable with. And Jacob Stallings caught every single inning for the reigning NL Cy Young. So like, even if Nick Fortes is really good, like if that's who Alcantara is comfortable with, and that's a guy that people are paying a C and that's who he wants catching him. He's going to be listed as, as yeah. the C one. I don't I know guess, if that means like, that they don't like Fortes or if it's just more like, well, we got two catchers. We can't have it just be Fortes. Stallings is good with our ace. So we're going to keep him around for another season. So I, I get that. But I think if like, if that were the case, then, then do what the, what the Dodgers did with Kershaw and, and Barnes, right? Like if Sandy Alcantara wants Stallings to be his catcher, Fine. Make Fortes the starter. He won't start opening day. Okay. So maybe he's not the starter because he doesn't start opening day, but he starts the next four. And and then when Alcantara is back in the mound, Stallings can get back behind the plate and take his day as the backup. Like, I don't know. I think I, we could see, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that ends up happening. I'd be okay. surprised if it did. I, like last year, it might've been, you know, he's, he's not, he was still young, right? I mean, it was what his age 25 season. So with yeah. Stallings now being 36 going on 37, he had a terrible year at the plate last year. That might be where Stallings' career is headed. And it's, it, if anything, it's encouraging to me that it doesn't look like they brought in 
somebody else no, to compete for that not. third spot. The one thing that was a little discouraging for Fortes' playtime, um, and I guess factors into to drafting him, is they did sign Yuli Gurriel. So any hope of yeah. Fortes getting some time at first base, that that's going to be hurt a little bit. But um, I think at this point, Fortes is a better hitter than both of those guys. So um, we'll have to see how it shakes out. Yeah, I think so too. I just, I, w- I would bet if I were, if I were setting it over under on Fortes' plate appearances right now, I'd be setting it like closer to 300 than 400. And that to me, like, and, and that's entirely based not on talent, but on what the Marlins seem to be doing. And that's, that's just, that's my concern. But now we're getting into me trying to project what the Marlins are thinking, which is <laughs> probably not a thing I should be wasting time on. So with that, let's move on to someone who, who isn't a catcher because I have no more catchers on my list. So I've got to pick someone else. Uh, who do I want to talk about next? I'm going to do a boring one. I know I said before I want, you know, what could go right, and now I'm saying I'm picking someone boring. But I'm picking someone who's boring because of what I think could go right. So just bear with me here. The boring name I am picking, who is 10.8% rostered in auto new, and I, I have put my money where my mouth is. He is on at least one of my auto new rosters, which means he is more than 10% rostered on my teams, uh, is Josh Donaldson. And I know it's Ooh. easy to like. Yeah, fair enough. It's a, that's, that is a... Uh, a completely fair reaction to Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson last year in 546 plate appearances. So basically a full-time role, right? He's not playing every, every day. He's had injury issues. He's older, whatever. Put up 3.95 points per game for auto new points leagues. That is bad. I acknowledge that's bad. 2021. And again, a basically a full season of playing time. He put up 5.4 points per game. He was 5.07 in 2020. He was 6.55 in 2019. He was 5.96. Well, 2018, he was 5.22 with Toronto and then came to Cleveland for a bit was 5.96. That was in a shortened amount of time because of injury. The point of all this is he's had one bad year, right? Now, it's his most recent year, and he is 37 years old. So I don't want to ignore the fact that he, he could just be done. It is entirely possible that he is just done. There isn't a lot when I go look at his his performance last year that makes me say like, no, he'll be fine. Like his strikeout rate was a career high last year. Other than you know, he had a 34 plate appearance, cup of coffee back in 2010 before his full rookie season. Other than that, highest strikeout rate of his career, second lowest walk rate of his career. The only time he had lower walk rate than that was in 2012, which was his actual rookie season. Now I will note that strikeout rate was 27.1%, which is not terrible. It's not good, terrible. And the walk rate was 9.9%. So even in a year where he wasn't scaring anyone, he was no threat at all, he still drew walks almost 10% of the time. He had a, a an 11.5% home run per fly ball rate, again, the worst since his rookie year. Like there are There are lots of things that have been trending the wrong direction. I, I, I will acknowledge that just is what it is this is purely a bet on he's had injury issues if he is healthy like the yankees have said he is their third baseman they have said he's going to get a shot he still projects like his projection i know we talked about you know don't get too caught up in the projections which i agree with but his projections are all like 107 108 110 ish wrc plus just a well above average performance and if that's a guy who i can plug on my bench have as 
a potential starting third baseman, especially in leagues, like in a league where you don't get one of those elite third basemen, because there aren't that many of them. I really like the possibility that he could be a very solidly above average hitter for a third baseman who puts up good power numbers, who puts up a good on base percentage because he can still draw a walk, who sees some, you know, a dead cat bounce in that, that strikeout rate, bringing it back down a bit. Like there's just enough little things that could go right. And it doesn't take a lot of them for him to be a guy that you're very happy plugging in as your everyday third baseman. And that's ignoring the fact that if he actually fully rebounds, he could be a top, probably not top five third baseman, but top seven, top eight third baseman. Like, do I think that's super likely? No, but it's certainly within the range of possibilities. I think the league where I have him, there is a very good chance that he is regularly going in and out of my lineup on, on days where, where guys are hurt, guys are getting days off. Like, I think he'll be at third base, be at util for me on occasion. And I think there's a possibility that he could end up as my starting third baseman at some point because his like he is an incredibly talented player <laughs> we know that and i i don't know i i think he should be i think he should be rostered more often you can basically pick him up for a buck the league where i have him is league one which is an on base percentage league which helps him even more because he like i said he still can draw a walk and I'm looking at that league and like, I have Alex Bregman in that league, but if Bregman gets hurt or needs time off or something like that, Donaldson's, a, I think a decent option behind him. I, I like the upside. I like the upside on Josh Donaldson at the $1 he'll cost you. Yeah. I think I, that puts it well, right? It, he's free. I think that's worth pointing out to start because I, I'm not nearly as big of a fan of Josh Donaldson. It, it really boils down to two things other than the obvious that I can't stand the guy and he's on the Yankees and all that. But um, number one, I worry about the playtime, which sounds crazy because he's getting paid so much money. But I mean, they barely have room. They don't have room for DJ LeMahieu right now, who I'm all in on. And I think is a, is a better hitter at this point in their careers than Josh Donaldson. I think, DJ LeMay, who has proven that when he's been healthy, his issue has been health. Don Donaldson's issue has been he sucked, at least last year. On the other side, and, and you've got Volpe coming as well. So if you get Peraza at shortstop, Glaber, Glaber at second, Rizzo at first, where's Volpe going to go if he does get called up? Where Again, where is DJ LeMay going to play um, if Stanton's de-aging and all that stuff? But also, I, and I, I bet you could predict this. This is always where I look with older players who look like they might be washed up. What are they doing against fastballs? And Josh Donaldson, if I'm going to ignore 2020 um, because he played 28 games in the shortened season. So I'm going to ignore that season. We just look at his batting average, the unexciting stat of batting average against fastballs in 2015. He hit 340 against fastballs in 2016, 309, 2017, 291, 2018 down to 250. That's okay. 2019 back up to 288. We're going to skip 2020. In 2021, he hit 281 off fastballs. Last year, he hit 246 against fastballs with his worst whiff rate ever against them, over 30%. And that coincided with a general swing strike rate against everything of over 14%, which was the worst of his career. That is concerning to me. That sticks out because if he's just getting older, if those knees aren't doing it anymore and he cannot catch up to fastballs, he's going to get destroyed because he's never been that terrific against breaking and off-speed pitches to begin with. Um, I think that combined with the playtime concerns has me worried, but this brings me full circle to what we started with. He is free. 
And if he does just bounce back, if it was just he's in New York, he's overwhelmed and, and struggled and all that stuff. And now he can just kind of like lock in and and hit the ball and resume where he left his career off at in 2021. Then, yeah, I could see him being a value, obviously, at a buck. Yeah, the thing I will throw out there, you talked about playing time. The thing I'll throw out there from a playing time perspective, two, two things. One, uh, both Aaron Boone and the Yankees hitting coach have said they expect him to bounce back, like big vote of confidence kind of statements. And not the like, he's our guy. Like we've heard Boone in the past make these like, he's our guy, so we're going to run with him type statements. That wasn't the statement he made. The statement he made was, let me see if I can find the exact quote. I think you're crazy to not think there's a bounce back in there offensively. Like Aaron Boone is, is showing real confidence in Donaldson. So that's one thing that I think works in his favor. The other is his percentile last year for outs above average was 90th percentile. He is still an elite defensive third baseman. He put up like as bad as he was last year, he put up a 1.6 F war season. That's a, that's a solid season from a guy like, in 132 games, that's basically a, a solid regular player. It's not a star, it's not, but but it is a guy who is holding his own as a guy who belongs in the lineup. He walked enough last year that even with all the other issues, he still had a 97 WRC plus. That WRC plus is almost 30 points lower than he's had in any of the previous three seasons. Like it would not take very much for him to bounce back offensively. And his defense will give him the leeway to stay in the lineup is basically what I'm, what I'm anticipating. So that that's where I am with Donaldson. I, I'm not like, you know, he's not a guy I'm saying like, you have to draft him. Don't let him like, but especially in a league where you don't have a third baseman, you're super confident in, which I think for, at least for me is a lot of leagues. Like sometimes I've been, I've been targeting third base early because I'm worried about it, but in leagues where that hasn't panned out, Donaldson's a really good guy to grab and, and see what comes up. So. Enough talking about Josh Donaldson, who I also don't particularly like. So I don't, I don't really <laughs> want to talk about him any more than we have to. Um, why don't we go? You want you want to keep talking catchers? Yeah, I'll I'll do my last catcher here because I, it's going to be really quick. Um, and he he really fits that description we had at the beginning of the episode pretty well of these players who you know why we kind of ignore projections where like they're either going to bounce back or or just be awesome and you're going to hold on to them or they're not and you're going to cut them right away. But I brought I'm going to bring up Mitch Garver because, number one, it just seems like I can't quit him ever since that amazing season he had. Um, that was that had to be back before. Yeah, that was in 2019 where he had 31 homers. He had a WRC plus of 155 here. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah, I, I'm not expecting 30 homers again. But sure. in TGFBI, 15 team two catcher league, I completely punted catcher. I didn't take my first catcher until I have to pick 350. I wanted to kind of test it out, TGFBI, a free league, and, you know, whatever. But I didn't want to deal with catcher, punt it down the road, and, and let's see what happens. Um, I ended up with two catchers who, starting, who, shocker, I'm, I'm not huge fans of. Uh, Luis Campisano, who I find a little interesting, former top prospect, still really young. I think could, you know, if something happens to Austin Nola, he could find himself a lot of playing time in a great lineup. And uh, I can't even remember who my other catcher is. It's somebody better or worse than Luis Campisano. It's not somebody worth talking about. But I made sure to stash uh, Mitch Garver, because he's already caught two games for the Rangers um, so far this spring, which I think is a promising sign that he won't maintain that util only. If he is util only, then I could absolutely see people being like, nope, uninterested. Uh, but I do think he'll get that catcher eligibility pretty quickly. He'll get that back. Um, the Rangers are an improving lineup, and Mitch Garver has looked pretty good. Uh, if we look at his stats from last year, 
there were some things that were reminiscent of that monster 2019. Now, Chad, you brought up the point of the rabbit ball, which is just the point to make. Like he's not going to be that player again. But in 2021, the strikeout rate was close to 30%. In 2020, the shortened season, I don't even know. It was obviously super short for Mitch Garver. He had a 45% strikeout rate. So like, and he was, he was hurt. If I remember correctly, a lot of that season. So he has really trailed off since 2019, where he had a 24% strikeout rate and an 11% walk rate last year. That kind of came back. That came back a little bit. He had a 24.7% strikeout rate and had a 10.7% walk rate. Now I do like Jonah Heim who's in front of him, but I don't think Jonah Heim's going to like seize the catcher's role so that, you know, Mitch Garver never sees the light of day. And I do think Garver's going to see a lot of time at DH as well for the Rangers. So long story short, keeper leagues limited value. Uh, so it doesn't really add up a whole lot for, for what we're talking about in terms of keeper leagues and your fan tracks leagues, but for Otten new, where if you're just trying to get by for a season with a $1 catcher, um, I think Mitch Garver could have a little bit of a bounce back. And it goes back to what we were talking about with Nick Fortes. We're like, it doesn't take a lot for a guy to be a top 10 catcher. And there is a path where Mitch Garver becomes a top 10 catcher for 2023. I'm not predicting it, but if I'm using pick 697 or wherever the heck he's going in drafts, then yeah. I, I, I don't mind gambling on Mitch Garver late. No, I don't mind that gamble either. I do think you, you've got to be ready to start others a catcher for, I think, longer than you're assuming. because Oh, for sure. Like right now, they have, if I look at roster resource, <laughs> they are assuming that Brad Miller is the DH against righties and Garver is the DH against lefties. Now, Garver is also the only player they project on the roster who can catch other than Heim. So they are not expecting like Sam Huff would be the other, the, the other possibility. They do have Sandy Leone in camp as a non-roster invite. So like it is, it is possible that they carry Garver as a DH and someone else as the backup catcher. But I think the more likely scenario is that Garver is the primary second catcher but I still think it could take him the month of April to earn catcher eligibility. And so I, like, I would just be in my mind, if you're going to take him, you have to be ready for the fact that like you won't plug him in as your catcher until May 1st and have a backup plan for what happens if the Rangers announce their roster and Huff or Leon are on the roster and look like they will be the backup catcher and Garver is a, pure dh which i think is a a real possibility yeah it definitely i mean and that again goes back to that like you're either going to keep this these players on your roster sure. for like huge chunks of time or they're just immediate cuts um which in a yeah. fab league uh, there's a there's a lot more downside in that in a draft and hold but where you could end up basically getting no stats out of these players and and waste the roster spot but if you can cut this guy pretty quickly then and, and replace him i think that's fine I'm not worried about Brad Miller. So just from a pure yeah. play time, like, like the reason why you roster Brad Miller as a major league baseball team is so that he can face lefties. He hit 217 against lefties last year. So like if Mitch Carver is swinging a good bat and getting on base, he's going to play. And hopefully with those more at bats at, at DH, they're like, all right, we got to get this guy in the lineup and they get him catching more. Maybe he gets that eligibility a little bit quicker, but I think you're right. You're probably, you're probably looking at May 1st. Yeah, but I think in terms of that what could go right, right? That what could go right is he earns catcher eligibility. Like Heim needs a couple extra days off early in the season. So Garver earns catcher eligibility earlier and hits enough that he becomes their everyday DH. And all of a sudden you have a guy who is playing, who you can put in your catcher spot, who is playing DH every day. And that's, that's very much in the realm of possibility. 
Uh, let's take another quick break. When we come back, we got one more bat and then some arms to talk about. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. I said we had one more bat to talk about. He's a name that's come up on the show before, but I don't know we've really talked about him in much detail. But I've been targeting him in a lot of leagues. I'm a big fan. So Michael Massey, second baseman for the Royals. He is 23.9% rostered on auto new right now. And I I think, you know, there, there was a tweet a while back from Jeff Zimmerman. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blank on exactly what he said. I don't have the tweet in front of me, so you're just going to have to live with that. But there's a tweet from him a while back where he said that Massey's expected home runs at home in Kauffman Stadium was like three last year. At Cincinnati, it was 15. Now, Massey did not exactly play a ton last year. He got 194 plate appearances. So he was saying, like, can you even imagine the hype that there would be for a guy going as late as he's going in drafts who had 15 home runs in less than 200 plate appearances? Like, it'd be through the roof. And the reality is there's reasons to believe that he has that kind of power. And that kind of impact. Now, last year, crossed three levels, AA, AAA, MLB. He got, let's see, it was a 200, 350. He got about 600 plate appearances and hit 20 home runs. So it's not like he hit 40, right? But 20 home runs, pretty solid from a second baseman. He did not have a ton of major league time. And so he doesn't qualify for like a percentile on Savant for his um, barrel rate or anything like that. His barrel rate is 13%. 13% of, of batted ball events were for barrels. To give a sense of context, last year among qualified hitters, of which there were 252, 13% would have tied him with Willie Adamas and Seth Brown for 26th in baseball. That is, 13% barrel rate is a good barrel rate. He gets... He also gets a, a pretty good sweet spot percentage, which means he's, he's, he's teeing up the ball in the right spot of the bat. That one is around 35%. That's more like a top 70, but still pretty good. Like he gets in and, he, and his max EV wasn't huge, but he's getting into his 108.8, but he's getting into high exit velocities on a fairly regular basis. And because he uses the sweet spot so often, he's able to, to put up a relatively high barrel rate. He is also helped by the fact that he pulls the ball at a pretty high rate. His pull rate in the majors last year was 52.3%. Triple-A, 48.9%. Double-A, 47.7%. All of those are good numbers, right? This is a guy who has decent power, 
hits the ball with the sweet spot of the bat and can turn on a pitch. Like those are all the things you're looking for, for a power breakout. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm super intrigued by him. I don't love the home park. I am, I am concerned about the impact that that Kaufman will have on him. I do think there's a world where he's good on the road and just can't be used at home because the power just doesn't play there. But right now roster resource has him penciled in as their starting second baseman. Like you said, he's, he's basically free in drafts. You can pick him up super late. He is unrostered in most auto new leagues. And you're talking about a guy who I think with, with a full season, 600 ish plate appearances could, could hit 20 home runs. And I, Second base, I'm here for that. I'm, I'm super here for that. And that's just talking about the power. He also, last year, stole 16 bases and was only caught twice across those three levels. So in your five-by-five five leagues, your leagues where stolen bases matter, you're talking about, you know, I talked about Bo Naylor. Like, the upside here is, like, he's a 2020 threat. 2020 at catcher is, you know, JT Real Muto, top of the draft board territory. At second base, it's not quite that. It's still good. It's still really good. And so I look at, like I said, He's pulling the ball. He's hitting it with the barrel. I, I, I like seeing that. And it, it says to me that there may be even another power breakout possible. And so that, that to me, that 2020 is sort of like, this is what he could do with 600 plate appearances. I think there's a 30, 20 type season. If he takes a step. And 30, 20. Now he, we're, we're talking, we're talking yeah. second, third rounder. I mean, right. I, I'm with you hundred percent on Massey. I think, he should be he should be going higher in drafts relative to where he's been going, um, especially in keeper leagues, long term formats where he is so young. He's twenty four years old, thirteen percent barrel rate. That'll play at any position. Um, I mean sure. that's that's awesome. Uh, I was on Fantasy Ace Ball to break down my uh, podcasters' hot new team, uh, and Tim was giving me a little trouble there because uh, we told him to cut a. a three dollar Massey and just get him back for a buck in his auctions I, I don't I don't think he told me if he actually did or not but I went and in two different odd new auctions not just the um podcasters league I ended up going three dollars on Massey because I wanted to get him that badly so I'm with you I'm, I'm in on Massey I think he's a great late round target yeah a couple other quick notes on him just because sometimes I like to cite people who are smarter than me because then it makes me feel like if you, if you don't trust me you could trust them um Eric Cross uh, who, if you're not following him on Twitter, you should be Eric Cross, at Eric Cross 04. He's um, as good a prospect and, and sort of dynasty analyst as there is out there. Uh, tweeted out a couple days ago, three days ago now, Michael Massey hitting 350 with three home runs and two stolen bases this spring. Great value in drafts, great value pick in drafts. And then uh, Chris Clegg, who's been on the show, um, same day, just on, on Thursday in his, he's got this great thing called the dynasty dugout, uh, sub stack he's got set up. It, it, it's well worth checking out. Um, but he wrote up Massey and talked about like he was a bit of a pop-up prospect. He had, he had better power totals than necessarily the tools suggested, which by the way, to me goes into that pulling the ball, right? Guys who hit more home runs than their, their exit velocity suggests are often guys who pull the ball a lot. Um, Jose Ramirez to me is the poster child for that. So that's the thing. That is not to say Massey is Ramirez. Don't 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 take it the wrong way. <laughs> but um, but he said some of that seems to be changing as Massey's been mashing this spring up to a 350 batting average, um, 1183 OPS, three home runs, two stolen bases. Strong possibility that Massey could develop into a 15-20 home run bat who steals 10 to 15 bases. So 
He's going with the strong possibility. When I'm saying 2020, I'm saying maybe less of a strong possibility. And my 3020 comment was more like a, a dreaming on a breakout kind of thing. But that just gives you a sense of like, there, there's some, you know, there, there's a, there's a good shot at like a 15, 15 type season, a realistic shot at 2020. So with yeah. that said, we had one more bat and then we're going to talk about pitchers. So look at this. I have two pitchers. You have one. So I'm going to talk about one of my pitchers first. I'm just going to go back to back here and then we'll get back to your guy. Um, Tarek Skubal, fan tracks. Now where we talked about how at fan tracks, guys are rostered at high rates, right? Like, everybody's rostered over 60%. Scooball, his roster rate is 27%. Now, he is hurt. He is hurt with an injury that could be, that can linger. There are reasons to be concerned. He's targeting, I think he said June. Maybe that turns into July. Fine. I think people are forgetting just how good he was last year and not choosing to stash him. So last year, 3.52 ERA in 117 two-thirds innings. We did 2.96 FIP, 3.40 XFIP. He had his strikeout rate come down. And I think that is, maybe that's concerning people a little bit. But he also brought down his walk rate. He also brought down his hard contact. He also brought down his fly ball rate and drove up his ground ball rate. And in terms of, you know, is there a reason to believe that this is legitimate change, blah, blah, blah. Like the lost strikeouts are not great, but all that other stuff is good. In 2021, he was throwing almost 43% four seam fastballs and other 13% sinkers. He also had a splitter he threw occasionally. So, but 56, 57% fastballs, mostly that four seamer. 2022, his most used pitch was his slider at 30.9%, up from 22.8% the previous year. His four-seamer was down to 26.6% instead of 42.8%. His sinker was at 21% instead of 12.9%. He also used his change up about 15% of the time, which is a little bit of an increase. But the, the real mix shift that he did here was he went from being heavy four-seamer, good amount of um, slider and sinker, to being most more slider than anything else and a much more even split between his four seamer and his sinker. And now that sinker being used more certainly helps to explain the increase in ground ball rate and the fewer fly balls. The fact that he's got a little bit of a different pitch mix and maybe is less predictable um, may help to explain why he's giving up less hard contact. You can also look at like that slider had a 247 ex-WOBA in 2021. It went up to 276 in 2022. But other than his, but it, but it was still lower than his, either of his fastballs, right? So he still, he went to the pitch that was getting the best results more often and it continued to get the best results. So I, it, to me, there's a shift here that is viable, that, it, that, it, that there's, there is good reason to buy into the change he made. There is also, I think, reason to believe that as he adjusts to this pitch mix, figures things out a little bit more, he can bring those strikeouts back up. And if he can keep the ground balls high, keep the hard contact low, and bring back some of those strikeouts, th there's, there's huge potential here, right, in terms of that what could go right. But even if he doesn't do that, I sort of think he can go back and do what he did last year in another half season. And that's... Awesome in keeper leagues because you can get him super late, stash him cheap, get a good half season out of him, and then have him for basically free next year when he when he should be up for a full season. And is valuable this year. 
And that's, again, even if he doesn't take the next step, and I think he could take the next step. Yeah, I like Scooball. I had him in a lot of spots last year. Um, there's definitely a lot of upside there. I He's he's kind of weird to me. Like he, He's just so inconsistent. I don't know if he's a tinkerer or, or what. You're identifying these changes, and maybe that's ultimately what this was all about. But like, if we look at his basically from April 15th to June 7th, he made 10 starts. Now, granted, they were against some pretty poor opponents. It was the Pirates, the Twins, Guardians, Guardians, Baltimore, Oakland. He did face Houston, Minnesota again, Colorado at home, and the Royals. So it wasn't the most hard-hitting teams. But here were his earned runs by start during that 10-start like stretch. When you said Guardians, Guardians. It was like... No, like, I, oh, I said it was like, that's like a teams. good team. It was like, you know, the Guardians. The Guardians are good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Guardians and, and Houston in there. But for the most part, I mean, I think okay. we'd agree. That's like a, a pretty easy... 10 start stretch his earned runs were were low i mean here here they are by start uh in that time period zero zero five at minnesota fine two at houston zero 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 three zero three i mean he looked like a breakout like a monster his next this has to be uh six starts uh four earned runs against toronto five against texas six against boston Three in just four and two thirds innings against the Giants, five earned runs against the Royals, and then two against the White Sox, and then another four earned run outing against the Royals. And I'm thinking, okay, well, everything he did those first ten starts is now gone. And then he closes out before his injury. The next three starts at Oakland, zero earned runs against the Padres, zero earned runs. Both of those outings, six innings pitched each, each, and then an outing against Minnesota again, zero earned runs. So he closed out his season with seventeen straight innings pitched of no earned runs. I don't know what the read is on this guy. So I hear the changes and I'm excited about them, but he seems like that could have been a result of an in-season tinkerer or or, or maybe just a soft schedule. So all in all, listing all that out, I guess is, I don't know what to make of Scooball. And you've convinced me, maybe I should, I should be drafting him in a few spots. I gave up on him in another dynasty. Maybe that was a mistake, but he needs to stop tinkering. And I want to see that consistency he had in that uh, somewhat soft schedule for those first 10 outings. Yeah, it makes sense. And I think, you know, to me, it's just, it's it, where he's going, he is worth picking up and stashing and, and the upside. Like, yes, it was up and down, but the sum total of what he did last year was really good. So um, we only got a few minutes left. I know we've been going sort of a long time here. So I want to try to wrap up quickly, but we got, we got two more pitchers. I think we can cover them each relatively fast. Let's start with, you've got a, a teammate of Scoobles that you want to talk about. Yeah, Spencer Turnbull. I'm all in, man. Uh, he's another guy who's kind of free in drafts. I know I'm not the only one who's targeting him late. He was terrific in 2021 before uh, ultimately suffering a, a slight tear in his UCL and having Tommy John surgery. He threw that no hitter. Um, not that that's a reason to draft him. We've seen some funny no hitters in history from different pitchers, oh, but yeah. uh, it was 50 innings of of sub three ERA, sub one WHIP that I, I think people aren't really remembering. And if you're looking in spring, like his, his velo seemed to be back. He's only thrown like four and two thirds, I believe. Velocity seems to be back. And to kind of close him out, I'm just going to read a quote from AJ Hinch. Something to watch for in spring training is that slider. Um, AJ Hinch said, uh, you know, Turnbull was very frustrated with those pitches. He was referencing what Turnbull had said about his slider. Uh, but Hinch said, but I have to keep on, or, or Turnbull said, I should say, I have to keep on throwing them. Just got to get there. I probably could have thrown curveballs in any of those places, and it would have been a much better pitch. 
but normally that slider has the late depth. I can usually get a swing and miss there. And those are not well executed. Basically what he was getting at, I could read the entire quote. Is it the slider, at least in Turnbull's eyes and what he's been told by his doctors or whoever, the slider is the last thing to come back. And so he feels like he's at a spot where that's the, that's the last hurdle. So if we see in spring training, that the velocity is still there, he's healthy, and now he's he's whipping off some nice sliders. That means that Spencer Turbo, in his own eyes, is back to where he was in 2021, yeah. and that was for 50 innings, a sub three ERA, sub one whip. Yeah, and I would I would add like the other thing that that says to me that quote is don't get too caught up in his spring results, right? Because it sounds like he's got situations where he's like the slider is going to get tagged, but I'm throwing it because I got to work on it, and so if I you know. And, and if that's the case, then yeah, there are situations where he's going to give up runs, give up hits that he otherwise wouldn't. So that's a that's a good thing to keep in mind when you're looking at what he does in the spring. The other note I would add on Turnbull is for those of you in auto new leagues where he is, again, still relatively low roster percentage. His home run per nine in that 2021 season where he was so good was 0.36. And that is only kind of an outlier for him. He was 0.32 in 2020. He was 0.85 in the rabbit ball year of 2019. Like everybody's giving up home runs left and right. And he was still under a home run per nine. And he was 0.55 in 2018. His career number is 0.63. Like he gets a lot of ground balls. He does not give up a lot of hard contact. So in your four by four leagues, in your Fangraphs points leagues where home runs are really punished, he's a great example of a guy that you can, you can get cheap and, and we'll do some good things for you. So the other pitcher I wanted to talk about, and I'm going to be very, very quick on him, um, Ryan Nelson of the Diamondbacks. He is, let me see what I had here. He is 28.9% rostered in auto new leagues right now. Obviously like three starts last year, he was great. 18.1 innings, 1.47 ERA. One of the things keeping his roster percentage down is it was a 3.77 FIP, 4.69 XFIP, 4.55 Sierra. Like he didn't quite live up to what what that ERA he wasn't as good as what his ERA suggests having said that last year he went 70% fastball and unlike some other guys he doesn't really throw multiple fastballs it was it, it was his four seamer 70% four seamers that is a lot of four seamers he got really good results in that four seamers 217 woba off that pitch 244x woba like good results 92.2% or 92.2 mile per hour exit velocity is a little concerning. And I don't know how much I believe he can continue to throw that fastball that often and get those kind of results. That said, his curveball, which was his second most used pitch at just 13%, had a 158 X Woba against 268 Woba, a little bit of bad luck there. I think. And his slider, by the way, he had to give up a 351 Woba on his slider, but it was just a 320X Woba. Still not good, but not, not terrible. He's got secondaries, two breakers, that he could certainly use more often. He also has a change. He threw 6.3% of the time that had a 116X Woba against, a zero Woba against. He could probably afford to use that pitch more. If Nelson can... Trust those secondaries, get them in the zone, be able to throw them for strikes and, and use them a little bit more. And it looks like they're effective enough that he can. Then the fastball could play up even more than it has. And I think something really interesting is at play there. So I, I really like him as a, a flyer. Again, what could go right is he brings his pitch mix in line with 
what his performance was last year. And yes, the ERA will go up, but the XFIP, the FIP, the Sierra all start to come down and, and the, the performance and the parent, like they meet in the middle. Right. And if you meet in the middle of one and a half and four and a half, that's, that's three. That's good. We'll take that from a pitcher. So um, I, I like the direction that I think he could go. He is a great example of a guy that like, I highly doubt I will be starting him very often early in the season. I, I like if he's on my auto new roster, he is probably not in my lineup for his first start. I don't know who they're facing. Maybe it's someone terrible. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll eat my words, but I don't think I'm starting him for his first start. I want to see what he can do, but I really like the direction it could go. And if it doesn't, I'll cut him and move on. And you might Any not need to Ryan Nelson. Uh, yeah, I like him too. I think he's the favorite out of that group of three there, Brandon fought Dre Jameson and you know, himself, Ryan Nelson to get that fifth starters job. Um, you know, Nick talks about this a lot that often at the beginning of seasons, the fifth starter can get skipped a few times because um, teams just don't have to roll them out with with days off and stuff like that. That could work out in Ryan Nelson's favor, um, keep the innings down, uh, avoid the colder weather if they're on the road, so on and so forth. Um, but yeah, I'm in on him. I know Eno Saris is a, is a fan of Ryan Nelson. So if you like him, Eno likes him. I'm in on some Ryan Nelson. Yeah, I would trust Eno over me, but uh, <laughs> no, still. Anyways, uh, thank you all for listening. I think this was hopefully an interesting, informative episode. Went pretty pretty deep on these. Boy, we're we go through 11 different players. Josh Lowe, Lowe, Garver, Turnbull, Duran, Fortes, Scooball, Naylor, Mead, Massey, Donaldson, and Nelson. Yeah, 11 guys. Hopefully some good analysis in there, something useful. Guys you can not just pick up late in drafts, but that are available to you now. And I think, you know, maybe not Garver, maybe not Donaldson, but the rest of these guys in terms of what could go right is they are still starters for you next season. These are all guys that the costs they're going for right now have real keeper potential. So check them out, pick them up. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week.